Welcome to episode five of the Grumpy Bunny. I hope everybody's having a really great day today, so a week so far. Thank you for joining me today on a Thursday rather than Wednesday. Um, you know, it was a holiday, so we decided to move uh, one day. And we're going to see how we like being on Thursday at 3 p.m. Uh, I hope if you watched last episode, you took a little time and made a flower arrangement or two, or maybe tried to butcher some gnocchi. Um, <laughs> it was a a crazy fun episode, right? Uh, so today's episode, we are actually going to make a pierogi and I am super excited to it. You know, I have to say I'm super excited for this because I had so much fun preparing for this. I have pulled this recipe from my uh, mom who got this from her grandmother. And I spent a great week talking about how to make this as well as adapting. I had so many different questions that I wanted to kind of bring forth and get these all answered so I could bring the right kind of pierogi to you. And I just, I had an absolute blast. So I am excited to bring this to you, pierogies. So it, they are a dumpling. A, a lot of times people mistake and they say that they are a potato dumpling when in fact they are a dumpling more often stuffed with a potato and farmer's cheese. But they're also sometimes stuffed with a cooked cabbage, which uh, can be mistaken for like a sauerkraut. <laughs> we'll get into all of that a little bit later. And then I'm also going to make a blueberry pierogi that my mom uh, told me about and kind of gave me an info on how to make when she was growing up too. But the two main ones that we're going to talk about today are going to be the potato and farmer's cheese with onion. And then we're going to do the stuffed cabbage, or which will be the, the sauerkraut. But we're going to start first with the dough. Um, no joke, we're going to make this from start all the way to the finish. So I adapted this recipe um, in order to make it gluten-free. As some of you and hopefully uh, know, I am a celiac, which means that my body is unable to process gluten, which is mostly the binding agent in breads and flours and pastas, and namely everything that we're going to be making today, right? So I changed a few things around and was able to come up with a really unique recipe that's really good, uh, stays true to the beginnings of the recipe that my great-grandmother uh, great would make, and it's super easy. So. Let's, let's get started. The first thing we're gonna brew, talk about is flour. Now, I'm using a one-to-one -one flour for, the, uh, for, my, for my flour. It's actually um, what you would use when you're trying to do a direct substitute. Uh, a one a gluten-free one-to-one baking flour tries to be as close as it possibly can to a regular flour, uh, flour in both texture, um, the ability to knead, uh, the, a good one-to-one -one baking flour will also have uh, a little bit of xanthan gum, which is kind of used to replace gluten in uh, your baking. Kind of helps bring the elasticity uh, to the dough. It's actually just 
well, Google it. It's made from bacteria. It's actually not as scary as I thought. Anyway, so it's something like this. You can pick it up at a store. It's not too bad. We're gonna add a quarter teaspoon to this as well, to this mixture here. And then we're gonna add some salt. It said in the recipes, if you decided to download that online, which I hope you did, uh, go uh, to the iLogic website. That's You can go to iLogicMedia.com and you can check out all of the great shows that they have to offer. There's all sorts of wonderful podcasts and some really, really great content, plus all of my past episodes, recipes, other fun stuff. And it's just an awesome uh, website. You should check it out. So anyway, I've got the one-to-one baking flour in here, and then I took that quarter teaspoon of xanthan gum, and I added just a little bit of salt. I'm going to go ahead and just mix that up a little bit. Okay. And then to that, I'm going to go ahead and add one cup of sour cream. I know, right? Sour cream? Yes. One cup sour cream. I think I have a whole week I prepared, right? And then we're also going to add three quarters of a stick of margarine. I know I oftentimes talk about all of the things that you can do to substitute things out, but in this instance, in order to kind of get the dough that you really want to hold together for these pierogies, I recommend that you use margarine, not butter. I recommend that you use a sour cream. If you do need to do like a dairy-free, try to find one again that is the closest to that. I did find that the emulsifiers and some of the other things that kind of put the sour cream as well as the binding agents that are in the margarine really helped to ensure that the um, dough really held together. And you'll see my point, you know, being a celiac, I have been part of, you know, having to eat gluten-free for a really long time. And it's always been a struggle, especially with breads to find things that will kind of like, you know, hold together. So I've taken and I've taken that ugg stick of margarine. I'm going to kind of mix these in here just a little bit to kind of break this up. Getting, working into the dough, kind of getting everything beginning to mix up. And then I'm going to go ahead and add two eggs. Remember when you're cracking eggs, always crack them on the surface, never on the bowl. That way you can ensure you'll never get cracked. Martha Stewart taught me that, right? So I'm going to add those two eggs. There. I'm going to go ahead and mix up. So yeah, like I said, I had so much fun this week talking with my mom and kind of just, you know, going over all of these fun stories that she uh, told me about growing up. You know, I'm adopted and I didn't get a chance to actually meet my birth mother until, and my birth family, until probably about 12 years ago. And it was one, a really super neat experience. You know, not that I, I absolutely love my adopted family. I've got, I personally think the best niece and nephew on the planet, but uh, it was just really kind of fun to, to kind of listen in on stories and something like that, that, you know, I, I possibly and probably could have taken, you know, you know, and it, yeah, it's been fun. So anyway, I got this kind of mixed up in here. What I'm going to do, usually I'm going to pull this dough together as much as I can in the bowl. You probably should have used a spoon a little bit to get it going, but I wanted to kind of show you how to pull it. Um, once the dough starts to kind of pull in from the bowl, like you're able to make a dough ball, that's when you can kind of transfer it to the to the surface that you're going to be kneading on. So pulling this together. I'm going to speed this process along here. 
So I'm going to take the surface here, just lightly flower it. Pull this right here, right in the center. One of the neat things that I liked about this dough and I was so kind of blown away with was how easy it kind of pulls together and works into a workable dough. If you're someone who eats gluten-free, you can, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. So it's really neat as you're able to see this kind of just kind of pull together almost like a dough that had flour in it. So you'll see the sour cream and the margarine are blending in quite nicely. Those eggs are getting in there. I'm gonna work this. It's obviously gonna be a little too wet. You'll see that I did that two and a half cups of flour. You wanna start with that two and a half cups of flour and only add that flour as you need. So it might be, you may in some instances, based on humidity of the outside temperature or even inside temperature, the heat inside or the heat outside may need to add more. Uh, so just start with your two and a half cups of flour in your base until you kind of get, obviously, this really wet dough ball. Then I'm going to take this quarter cup here, and I'm going to work in a quarter cup fashion. The quarter cup here helps remind me how much I put in total, so I'm not just grabbing and dumping in. And then two, it allows me to kind of just work with that. So I'll spread it over the top a little bit, straight on the bottom. And then that's how I'm going to work the rest of the flour into the dough until it gets this consistency that I'm looking for. And what I want is that when I'm kneading it, it's not sticking to my hands. It's actually going to start pulling away some of this dough right back into the dough itself. And I'm also not going to be leaving any dough on my countertop. And you'll get quite the workout with this. You're going to want to knead it. You'll see now, uh, as I'm kneading this dough, it's starting to get a little gummier in texture. It has this really nice kind of feel to it, but when I break it apart, it's still kind of, you know, um, cracking a bit. So I know that one, I'm probably gonna need a little bit more flour, and two, it just needs a little bit more dough, uh, a little bit more flour. The more you can knead this dough and the more elasticity that you can build into it, the better. So, you know, it needs, you know, with no gluten in this flour, uh, in this dough mixture, it means that we're not building any kind of gluten or any ability. It's tough for this to hold together. So, you know, knead it, pop that stuff in there, mix all that, kind of get that xanthan gum in there so that you can kind of get those binding agents together. And I'm adding just a little bit more flour here on the top. So in addition to the two and a half cups, I have so far used about a quarter cup of extra flour. Again, the amount of flour you're gonna add is gonna be different based off of what your, uh, the humidity, the temperature. So don't be surprised if on some days you're gonna use less and on others you're gonna use more. So as you can see, I'm able to pull this apart. When I need it, it holds together. I'm not pulling, you know, it's not kind of breaking apart too much. It's not sticking to my, uh, to the countertop here. It is sticking a little bit to my hand. So I'm gonna add just a little bit more flour here. Ta-da! Right? I know, right? Well, the sound effects sometimes I think make it the best. <laughs> all right, so as you can see, I pulled this all together. It's holding firm. When I'm pulling it off this granite counter or off the countertop, it's not really sticking. 
the ball holds together well, well, as best as this ball can for, um, for being a gluten-free dough. I'm going to take the dough. I'm going to wrap it. And you're going to want to let it rest for a little bit. It, I did a couple tests for this. I actually put it in the fridge, uh, left it for about, I would say, most of the day, and then made those the, that night. It seemed to hold really well. You definitely, if you're going to have the dough rest in your fridge or even freeze it, I'd leave it a little bit more moist. Uh, that way it doesn't get as much of a chance to dry out. After it has had a chance to kind of rest for a little bit for several hours if possible. If you can't, if you're just going to make it and go, you can kind of just let it rest out on the countertop for about 20 minutes, but it's obviously best if you just kind of let it, you know, hang out for a little bit, pull itself together, I guess, in that say. Now you'll see this one that's had a chance to rest. It's pulled together. You know what I'm saying? I've got a nice residual elasticity to it. I can't expect too much elasticity because <laughs> Again, it's gluten-free. So I'm going to, again, take a little bit of light here. Uh, with my, I've learned for myself that it's always best to leave these a little bit wet because I'm always going to use a little bit of flour here and there, uh, both on that. And the last thing I really want is to have it dry out. So I'm pulling this out from the fridge. I kind of want to warm it up a bit. I want to get it in, you know, kind of get it set up and going. So I'm going to let it roll here. And... Good to go. And I'm gonna let this sit. I'm gonna wrap it right here. A paper towel, actually, let's take a plate. Just so I don't want it to really dry out anymore for that. And we are gonna talk about what goes in these pierogies. So while you are letting that dough rest, let's just say because you're gonna make these pierogies tonight for dinner and you're gonna say, you know what, Derek? I'm only going to let these go for 20 minutes. And so you're thinking, well, what do I do next? Well, easy. The potato and farmer's cheese is like, ridiculously easy to make. Also really, really good. And the cooked cabbage is also good too. So we're going to start first with the potatoes and farmer's cheese. I've made mashed potatoes. So I've roasted uh, some potatoes in the oven for about 40 minutes at 400 degrees. I had potatoes. I'm okay. Uh, uh, for about 40 for about 40 minutes, and then I kind of left them out. I have pulled them out of their uh, skins, and then I've left them in the bowl. I've kind of like pushed them out. You can, mom, if you're listening, cover your ears. You can use the frozen potatoes. You know, that like you go to the frozen food section, the potato section, and you will see like the frozen bag of mashed potatoes. You can use those. If you do, omit the salt, the pepper, well, if you, I mean, I guess that's can taste, but at least omit the milk and the butter because that will already have been added to your frozen potatoes. So if you're using something like, voila, okay? No butter, no milk. You'll just make them even soggier. You can use that if you don't want to make your own mashed potatoes. But if you do, you make your own mashed potatoes, you can set that up here. And then you're going to take some diced onion, finely diced, all right? And you're going to want to add that to your mashed potato mixture. If, it, uh, if you're using the fresh potatoes, so the potato is super hot, you can go ahead and use the raw onion and then just drop the finely diced raw onion right into the potatoes. If you're using the store-bought brand, no shame, but if you are using that store-bought brand, what you do with those finely diced onions is take them to a saute pan, warm them up a little bit, let them get a little bit of a shine, start to go clear before you toss them 
into the mashed potato, uh, into the potato mixture. So you've taken your potatoes, you've mashed them all up, you've added that two tablespoons of the uh, butter and you've added a splash of milk. We've mixed all of that up. And then that's gonna, we are going to let that chill. So if you're using the store-bought brands, if, at, at this point, you have just gone ahead, your uh, mashed potatoes are still pretty, uh, at that point, kind of, uh, you want it to be cold before we get to this next part. Sorry, my stutter's getting to me a little. So you'll take the mixture that you have here. That's gonna be the salt, the pepper, mar uh, the butter, the mashed potato, and that a little bit of the finely diced onion, quarter, uh, quarter bit. You can go to taste with that too. Some people like a lot of onion in there. I'm not someone that likes to be overpowered with onion. So I actually used a little bit less than the recipe calls for. That's completely up to you. Then you add the most important part, and I mean it, the most important part of this potato and cheese filling, okay? Farmer's cheese, not ricotta, not feta, not some shredded cheese blend, not a white queso cheese, farmer's cheese. Farmer's cheese is actually compressed, not oppressed, but compressed cottage cheese. It can be made from goat, it can be made from cow, it can be made from others, I'm assuming. Uh, but this is going to be a cow's milk farmer's cheese. It's got this wonderful, great, mild flavor to it. And it really enhances the rest of the, the pierogies themselves, as well as the cheese, um, the potato mixture. So I'm going to add that in to my uh, potato mixture. It's going to be about one third cheese to two thirds potatoes. And also remember too, that you're putting a tiny, tiny amount of filling into these pierogies. So you don't need a lot, unless of course you are going to feed a small army, which I will be doing later. You can do one or two potatoes uh, yeah, and that's enough to feed yourself and probably have some to put away. So that's why I'm telling you in there, one third, uh, one third cheese to two thirds of the potato mixture. Mixing all of that up, you wanna kind of make sure at that point that your potato mixture is cool if not chilled because I really don't want the cheese to mix into the mashed potatoes kind of creating one gelatinous material. I want it to mix in being kind of uh, blended, not all the way. So you'll see here I've got basically this mashed potato, you see bits of onion, mashed potato, and then that um, farmer's cheese kind of mixed all the way throughout, okay? That's our first. So let's talk about the second portion of the uh, stuffed uh, for the pierogies, and that's going to be the cooked cabbage. Oftentimes you'll see that they're called uh, sauerkraut filled. I talked to my mom about these being the sauerkraut filled, and I was quickly informed that in fact, it's not sauerkraut because you don't want to use a pickled cabbage. You want to use a cooked cabbage. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your uh, about a quarter head of cabbage, um, even less if you're not trying to make a lot. And I'm going to shred it. Think like the slice like you would make for coleslaw. Okay. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it into a pot and I'm going to cook that uh, down. I'm going to actually just kind of dump that all on its own right into the pot itself. I don't even need to add any water or anything. I'm going to put the top on it and then I'm going to put the heat on low and I'm going to let that cook down for about five to maybe seven minutes. I'm going to keep an eye on it. I'm going to be kind of occasionally stirring that up to kind of begin the breakdown process of that stuffed cabbage, or I'm sorry, of the sliced cabbage. So as that cabbage is cooking down, it's going to start to turn, uh, it's going to lose that white texture, 
uh, and green, it's going to move to start being like a clear, almost, almost like a caramelized, like you're caramelizing onions, which is in effect what you're going for. Once it started to cook down, you've seen some more moisture released. You're going to want to make sure that that stays on low, uh, low to maybe like a medium low, stirring pretty frequently. Then add some butter, about one, maybe two tablespoons, depending on how mu uh, much of the cooked cabbage that you're going for. Uh, and then kind of watch that as you're going to cook it down. You want to be careful that you're one, not burning the butter that's there, and two, you don't want to burn the cabbage. So you're slowly caramelizing this cabbage so that it becomes this cooked, great brown, kind of almost, like I said, like I said before, a, like a, a, a caramelized onion. But what you're doing is you're kind of rendering, oh my gosh, it's so good. You're taking away a lot of that bitterness and the bitterness that's from the cabbage and that kind of raw flavor. And you're turning it into this almost sweet, really great, gorgeous kind of like, um, well, cooked cabbage. So get it down brown, almost burnt, not quite burnt, but real brown. Add some salt, add some pepper. Remember, butter is something that we absolutely, you know, you absolutely love on that too, you know. So keep that together. And again, just like the potatoes, throw that in the fridge and let that chill for a little bit because when we're gonna make our pierogies, we wanna make sure that nothing kind of ruins this dough because it's a gluten-free dough. So we have made two of our three fillings. I've got some water back here, uh, a large pot, lightly salted, ow, really hot. <laughs> and uh, that's been going for a little bit. I'm gonna have that come to a boil. I'm gonna knead this dough up here because I wanna make sure that none of those dry spots are kind of in there until it's all one gorgeous mixture, making sure that it is the perfect consistency that I want. And now the fun begins. Little bit of flour on the counter. Pop that bad boy right here. If, if you're fearful of working with a giant slab of dough, perfectly fine, cut it in half, throw that other part right back in here, cover it right back up. That's a great way too, that way you're not getting yourself too spread out. Um, maybe you don't have a lot of space to work with, not a problem. So again, taking that out, I'm gonna pass this out a little bit, taking my rolling pin. I'm gonna try to aim for a 1 16th of an inch. If you can't get to that, that's perfectly fine. When you're rolling this dough out, you don't need a lot of pressure to get it that way because it's real easy for this dough to stick to the pin. Again, too, because you don't want it to be overfloured because you, you, you kind of just got to love it. Be a little bit careful. 16th, not 1 6th. But that's okay. So now that I've got it rolled out of here a little bit like this, See, see, like I'm saying, like, as I got excited because uh, talking about that and got into that moment, you'll see here, I've actually started pressing too hard, especially when I'm starting to get that thick. I've started pulling that up. We really don't want to do that. So because we need as much of the dough to stay as its shape as possible. So I'm going to use this water glass. I'm going to take it like this and I'm going to cut these gorgeous little circles out. And I'm going to pull this stuff to the side. I'm not a big fast person. So, you know, I, I've, I've had some things that make life a little bit slower for me. So I like to work on smaller portions, which is in this instance works really great. So I'm going to take the dough here. I'm going to set this just off to the side. I've got these wonderful, gorgeous little rounds, you know, I'm going to take the smallest amount 
about, I would say, maybe the size of a larger marble, okay? So quarter inch, perhaps. I'm gonna work it into kind of like, a, almost like a small, you know what they look like? A little smaller than like a little robin's egg, right in the center of that pierogi. Then I'm gonna take it, and because this dough is actually a little wet, um, it's not as dry as some of the others. You may not, otherwise you can always have a little bit of water uh, nearby, lick that to make sure and kind of just pull these together. And then what I'm doing here is I'm gonna tuck this side over because I messed that up. Great thing about mistakes, right, is that you can do it again because you have plenty of chances. So let's start again. I'll take a little bit less this time because that was just a little too much. I'm going to pull it over. There we go. Crimping those edges. And then I'm going to set it down on the table, find a fork. And I'm going to crimp these edges. Be careful when you're when you start to this crimping portion of the pierogies. You want to try to stay as close to the edge of the pierogi as possible because you also really don't want to get into where the dough of and the uh, where your potato mixture is at. So again, as you can see, it's crimped around the edges. And then I'm going to set that right here on the side, and I can just tin you right on. So I'm going to make just a few more because. You know, these are how they go. And, you know, I was, I've been told that a lot of times people would make these in huge chains. You'd have chains. You'd have someone sitting in one edge rolling all of these out while another person sat there and crimped and set and filled and did. See how easy this is? And the dough, like I said, is some sort of magic material that I think is the best in the world, holds together. Yeah, well, yes, a tortilla press would probably be a great idea. Yeah, that is a good point. So anyway, crimp my edges like that. I'm continuing on. Remember, I am watching to make sure that my edges don't get stuck because I don't want holes in my fork like that. Now, with the leftover dough that you have here, if you're working in separate portions, I would just take some of the new dough, add that in with my old dough, and because again, I would rather have more gluten, or as, not gluten, but as much elasticity as I can in this wonderful piece of dough, I'll blend this all back together. Take a little bit of flour here, my dough, my roller, lightly with less rage, roll out to about 1 16th of an inch. There's some part of like Zen feeling on, on rolling that dough out. Made sure my dough is right. Again, cutting my holes, my little circles here, pulling that out and building. So for the sauerkraut, or I'm sorry, the cooked cabbage, <laughs> you wanna do is the same thing that you're doing with those potato pierogi. Um, you wanna make sure that again, if that you've sliced the uh, cabbage originally thin enough, it's had that chance to kind of cook down. Oh, they're so good. And the same thing, take a look at that, tuck this over, 
close them down, and then set them to dry. You can leave these out to kind of dry for a little bit. That's perfectly fine, even like 10 or 15 minutes. You kind of actually want them to just a little bit before you decide to boil them. That's fine. Let me just finish this last one off right here. See how easy that is? And I screw stuff up. You've seen my shows, you know that's true. So take it like that. One more time, using my fork, making sure that I've not gotten to any of those edges and I've made them like that. And we're good. So now when it comes to cooking these bad boys, that's the best part. I'm gonna take a saute pan here. I'm gonna have that going on a low to medium heat and I'm gonna take some sliced onions. I'm gonna drop those sliced onions and kind of let these cook down a little bit. While I'm letting the rest of my stuff boil up here. And we're gonna talk about the blueberry pierogies, which again are delightful. So when it comes to cooking out down these blueberries, uh, a couple of tips. I really liked the idea of making them so that they didn't have a jam. Um, the more liquid that I had, I seemed to have more of a struggle kind of having these, uh, you know, keeping them closed or working, whatever. So I came up with this really great solution. I took these blueberries after I rinsed them. I went ahead and I put them in a saute or in a, uh, a saute pan and I over low, just let them sit. Occasionally I would shake the pan a little bit. I didn't use a spoon. I didn't add anything into it. And I just let them sit for a little bit. And they almost began to kind of like cook down, but came still left themselves inside the skin itself, which is really kind of what I was going for. After everything was all done, I pulled them out. I tossed some uh, white refined sugar right over the uh, top of them obviously put some saran wrap on them and toss them into the fridge to cool. So all I'm going to do is the same thing that I did before that with the others, right? I'm going to roll these uh, pierogi dough out about to 116. Now, what I would make sure that we did, and you're going to grab these here, Make sure, one, that they're cold. They have a tendency to hold off together. You need maybe four, five, maybe, well, okay, we'll say six. Six is pushing it, I'm going to say. You want to be real careful as I bring these over. I don't want them to explode in, well, before I've had a chance to. Yeah, see, see, six is way too much. See, it's what I get. I was trying to be brave in front of the camera, and I messed it all up. Let's try that one more time. Okay, so 116, roll that dough out, pull the dough up, and let's go for what I originally thought, four. You know what, let's live brave, five. We can do it, right? We can do it. Yeah. Oh, I think we're gonna make it. Woo, we made it. Okay, so. Closing all those up, I'm being extremely ginger with those, trying not to break it, because as soon as you break one of those open, the juice is everywhere, it's hardest not to close uh, and to keep, and you really want them with to explode when you drop them into the uh, pot to boil. So now, blueberry one is right there. 
Our water is boiling. Our trusty sieve here. We're going to use this sieve. And very carefully in the boiling water, I'm going to drop them in said boiling water. They're going to float to the surface after about 30 to 45 seconds. After they have floated to the surface, I'm going to watch them like a hawk. And I'm going to kind of do my best to um, ensure that uh, once they start to get this almost translucent uh, tinge to them, they'll, they'll start to kind of uh, get this gloss to them. That's when they're done. You're going to pull them out as gingerly as possible, and we're going to set them right here on, um, on this wax paper to dry. So while we're waiting for those to float, let's make some more. See, and again, one of the cool things about this dough is the fact that, you know, it's not real pretentious. Doesn't have an attitude, doesn't have any kind of, you know, you know, drama or issues. And honestly, it has worked great every single time. And having done a few shows now, I can tell you that having a dough or actually anything work the way that I want it to work. Oh, great. So I'm going to pull these out. Those have floated to the surface. Almost. Perfect. So I'll pull these out. And then I'm going to go ahead and, as you can see, they've still held together. They've got this kind of white, night white pasta kind of color to it. And I'm just going to leave them here to sit, to dry. While I'm waiting for those, I'm going to go ahead and toss the rest of those back in here. Remember, be very careful when you're working with boiling water. Uh, it hurts. You know, um, you know, you definitely want to make sure that you have some sort of something to make sure that you're not going to, you know, just drop them in by hand and burn yourself. So 30 to 45 seconds after the, I, like I said, after I have dropped those in there, they're going to kind of float to the surface. I'm going to cook some more. I'm gonna make a couple more potato ones here. So now I'm gonna pull that all aside. You'll see that I got my, for my saute pan here, I have these uh, onions that are starting to uh, cook down and caramelize. I probably should have started these a little bit earlier, but I didn't. So, well, after these have come to the surface a little bit here, I'm gonna set them here. We'll just let them chill. So. Couple th uh, one of the things that I wanted to tell you about the pierogies while we're waiting for those onions to finish cooking off. If you're going to leave these and eat them right away, you can immediately have them here, toss them into the waiting pan of the stuff when it's ready, we'll talk about, and then they'll be fine. If you want to keep these, like you want to refrigerate them and cook them later that night, or better yet, you want to freeze them, you're going to want to leave them on this paper, uh, the wax paper for a little bit flip them so that as they dry, they're not sticking to this wax paper. And then actually, as they dry more, you're going to want to replace them and put it on a new piece of wax paper. So what I have a tendency to do is I'll have this piece uh, that I used the, to put all of my original pierogi on before that I started boiling those. I'll just use that to be my secondary drying tray after they've come off here. So, so I got these here. These are cooking down. I'm going to take one tablespoon of butter. I'm going to turn down my heat, all right? I don't want to burn this butter because the butter for these pierogies is almost a sauce. 
Okay. Then I'm going to take some Polish kielbasa. You can use a smoked uh, kielbasa, which is what I have here, which means that it's already been cooked. All I have to do is toss it in the pan and it's good to go. Or you can actually use a fresh kielbasa. If you have a fresh kielbasa, make sure that you boil the kielbasa first, then go ahead and put it into the saute pan. Don't cook it in the same pan that you're cooking your pierogies in. So I'm gonna have that to the side like that. You'll see that my butter started to melt. I'm actually gonna turn the heat down. So again, I'm not trying to burn this butter. And then I'm gonna set these bad boys right in this pile of butter. I can't tell you how many times my mom said the word butter. Okay. So I'll let those coat everything up, cook off. When you're cooking these pierogi, um, because the you want to make sure that the dough itself has this kind of um, almost crispy texture, but you don't want them to become like toasty or crunchy. So they're going to have a nice light brown color to them. They'll have um, a little bit of, you know, like a crispy flavor, like right along the edges, but it's just a nice light browning. They shouldn't be in this for very long. So I'll have those in there. I'm actually going to add a couple chunks of these. My mom would be a little upset because your, your ratio of pierogi to sausage is supposed to be quite a bit less sausage than there is pierogi because, and I quote, we were poor. But, so... Let's go to the dessert pierogi. I have my water right here. I'm gonna take this blueberry one. I'm gonna drop it in the water. Cook it the same way that I cooked those other pierogi too, you know? I'm gonna have, uh, you know, 45 seconds. It'll float to the surface. Wait till it gets to be translucent. Pull it out, let it drain for a little bit. So I've got these wonderful pierogi which are browning in the butter. You know, when it comes to butter, you can never go wrong. I'm going to flip these a little bit. Just really, honestly, just trying to brown them. If you're cooking these from frozen, which is something that I do, it's you're going to be about three, maybe four minutes, let them heat up and stuff. Uh, and then I would add my sausage um, just to kind of get those going. Uh, so maybe like two, maybe three minutes from frozen and then go ahead and add everything else. On the other end, if you're going to make them straight from fresh, go ahead and just dump everything all in at once. Like I said, making sure that your heat is at a low to medium low, not that you're cooking off that butter. You're not trying to burn it. You're just trying to kind of bring it down a little bit. So that blueberry one's popped to the surface. I'm going to let that sit. And I was not prepared. Stay, stay, stay. Again, on a low to medium heat, a little bit of butter. Well, let's just be real, a lot of butter. So about a tablespoon of butter. <laughs> per blueberry thing, right? Let that come down again on a low to medium heat. I'm going to set that blueberry in just exactly like I'm doing with these. I'm going to give these a little bit of a flip. You'll see that they're starting to get brown a little bit. Honestly, probably not hot enough. 
but I haven't quite uh, got the fine line setup of that, uh, not burning everything and setting off a smoke alarm. All right, so these have cooked down a little bit more. These are almost ready. So let's talk about, uh, as these finish up, what a few things, just to make sure that I recap everything. If you're gonna uh, use these later on, which is like I said before, remember, let them cool here first, flip them, make sure that you put them on a new wax paper sheet before you uh, throw them in the freezer. When you do throw them in the freezer, take the wax sheet that they're on. So take this tray, let's say that you've had these here, that you've had your pierogi on and they've been drying on and just directly put that right into the, uh, into the freezer. Let that free, oh, freeze overnight, just like that. Then once they're completely frozen, then you can take them into the Ziploc bags like this. And then they're completely, you know, you can bring them out. I can just immediately toss these right into a pan, let them cook for a little bit. All right. So just like that, these nice crispy, I'm gonna take some of this here, some of those sauteed onions, a couple pieces of sausage, and then most of all, butter. You want it to almost, you know, drip off that plate. Add a little bit of sour cream on top of that and some chopped dill, and they're great. Good to go. Let's taste them and find out. See, and again, something to be gluten-free, to be able to hold together mm, like that, great. So here we are, our blueberry. I like to get these just a little crispier than normal, okay? Then I'll set it on my plate here with that warm butter. Take some sugar, a couple blueberries that I think I have left over in here. Yes. And there we go. Right? Then as you cut this open, those blueberries beforehand, now they become this gorgeous jam that just kind of separates here, right? And kind of gives you that crispy on the inside and warm and gooey on the outside. Delightful. And oh, and really hot. Yeah. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, you know, this was, I had to say almost as much fun, like I said, putting this episode together for all of you as it was to make this episode and have, and bring it all to you. Claire, uh, remember that to try, try stuff, farmer's cheese, Okay, no ricotta, not feta, not some cheese blend, farmer's cheese. I'm almost positive that you can just take some cottage cheese, press all of the liquid out of the cottage cheese and use that if you're desperate. But this is pretty easy to find and super, super good. I will be around after the show to ask a couple of the questions. Oh, and don't forget, uh, in a week, in two weeks, we're going to do a show completely dedicated to making jerky. And that should be fun because I have never made jerky before and we all know how well that's going to go. So I'll stay tuned after the show if you'd like to answer any questions and stuff like that. If not, I will see you all in two weeks. I can't thank iLogic enough for giving me 
an opportunity to showcase this show as I continue to get better and better at making a live cooking show. I thank you to all of you for watching my show. You know, you can follow me on Facebook or on YouTube and uh, Twitter. And you can also like uh, iLogic on Facebook and me as well, The Grumpy Bunny, or on Twitter at The uh, Grumpy Bunny Show. Thank you to all of you. Thank you so much. And go have fun. Okay? See you later. Bye.